charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. These are the four elements needed to become America's next drag superstar. But not every queen with these elements wins the crown on RuPaul's Drag Race. Well, that's all right, because many of the competing queens go on to become globally recognized glamazons, cover girls, and famously revered entertainers, putting the bass in their walks. Season 11's Nina West is among these queens to slay, and she has some things to say. You're listening to Fiercely Fandom with Duran, period. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Fiercely Fandom with Duran, period. You know that podcast where pop culture meets fan culture, and I'm your host, Duran Dalton. Okay, so on this episode, I'm having a kiki with the one and only Nina West from season 11 of RuPaul's Drag Race. We are going to flap not only about the show, but how Drag Race has reshaped drag culture. So if you're a fan of the show, why wouldn't you be listening to this podcast, right? And if you care not only about the triumphs, but the challenges that drag queens are facing, this is the podcast for you. So stay tuned, y'all, to see how this turns out. Yes! Well, you know, they say geniuses, they have very messy desks, so. Okay, well, then I must be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. So how are you doing today, Nina? <laughs> I am so good. How are you? I am doing well, well. Um, Seydu told me to tell you hi. He said hi. Uh, I love Seydu. I've known Seydu, Seydu uh, uh, Carmo. I've known since I really first started coming out in the Columbus scene. So I've probably known Seydu for almost 20 years. He's just so oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We hear all about 97, 98, me and all oh. the girls. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have a drinking game, like literally, uh, uh, you know Micah. Micah is your yes. grand drag daughter. Yeah, <laughs> what do you mean? You just call me old. <laughs> well, nobody told you to have all these babies at I, a young age. <laughs> I know. I, know. I, I was kid. I need to have my tooth tied. I was very fertile. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, we have a drinking game where whenever uh, Carmo, Miss Carmo, as we call her, she talks about 97, 98, or any, you know, any year around that that time, that era, (laughs) we take a drink. (laughs) Me and Micah, because you know we all all do a radio show together, Chris State of Mind. I know. (laughs) And Micah also told me, like, we have to get you on the show, so. (laughs) I would love to come on. I would love to come on. 
yes, we got, we have to get you. Yeah, we do. All right. So, you know, just to furthermore break the ice, you know, we're going to get into it. Tell me a little bit about, a little bit more about yourself, specifically how long you've been in drag. Like, when was that yeah. moment you started? <laughs> so I have, you know, I was in college and I kind of played around with it. We had this, uh, every year when I was in school, we had a, a drag show at the end of the year and they would bring in drag queens from Columbus. I went to a, this really small, uptight, conservative, uh, well, well like, I should say, the student body was more conservative and the faculty was really liberal. So it was like a really weird dichotomy that you, when you go to college, you kind of expect the opposite, I think. Yeah. Or at least a little bit more of a progressive environment. So, yeah. but it was surprising to find that at this really kind of uh, small school, they were doing a drag show every year at the end of classes right before finals. And so, I was playing around kind of with that and I was meeting all these people who were doing drag and um, I was like, well, you know, I'll try it once. <laughs> and so my senior year, I tried it once and then um, I was going to move to New York in for the fall of 2001 and I stayed because of 9-11. And mm. in the process, like over that summer, my drag mother, Virginia, was like, you know, here's drag. Drag is a really great way for you to stay creative and it's a really great way for you to make money. So there was this kind of like, sim like simultaneous thing happening post-graduation where I tried drag one time in Columbus. And um, that's where I actually, the, the, during that summer, it's where I met Seydoux and, you know, and it's like, so it was some, somewhere in there is when I really started to do drag mm. and I didn't really take it seriously. Like I just thought, oh yeah, whatever. Like I'm not going to be doing, I'm never going to do drag. I'm just kind of doing it right now like once or twice but i'm not right. gonna be like a drag queen <laughs> <laughs> and well the rest is history i'm a drag queen so <laughs> <laughs> here we are i know right are. yeah yeah so drag drag kind of found me more so than i found it because i was really resisting it i was really not oh. wanting to be not, not that i didn't want to be a drag queen but i don't think i wanted to be a drag queen i just didn't understand it and i didn't yeah. know the culture and i didn't know the history and i didn't know the importance of it to the gay community and there was I felt so, I think, ashamed of my own homosexuality. You know, there was this like own, like my own internal bias of myself, my own internal hate of myself that, and loathing that I didn't really want to acknowledge that drag was even a viable or vital form of expression at that time. And I was young, you know, right. I, I had no exposure to it. I do personally come from a very conservative family. So I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And, whatever I thought some this outward I thought the outward uh consumption of my I thought the world at large and the consumption of my drag put judgment on me that I was a lesser than or weaker than and my god boy was I ever wrong I mean like my I my spirit and my voice has so uh been I think I think I found myself because of drag it's just it's and I was so resistant to it you know Yes, yes. I love that answer. I love that answer. And the way you felt about drag in the beginning is the way I feel about writing sometimes. <laughs> like, I wasn't really trying to do it like that, but you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it does resonate. Like, I didn't, I was really just kept trying to like make itself known to me. You know, mm, and I was yeah. like, oh no, 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 this is not, this is not what I'm doing. Like, I just really was, I was trying to really define it, but it just kept coming back in my life. I was like, 
okay, well, like, yeah, and then I got more comfortable with myself and I got more comfortable with my queerness and I got more comfortable with um, being my own person and stepping outside of the shadow of what my parents wanted me to be. Like, yes. I just really, like, I just got more comfortable with me. And it wasn't about, the, it was all me. Like, the old right. dialogue was all me. It was all me. So how does your, 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 your family take you doing drag these days? Like, they've had 20 years to... to to accept it to deal with it you know what i mean so well i i actually i kept it hidden from them until i was like 12 years into my career so, wow. <laughs> yeah, what was it telling so, them that you were doing how we, <laughs> i know i know i didn't tell them i just i mean and they didn't know like i just thought they knew and it was just an we just didn't talk about it you know like yeah. waspy like waspy people do we just don't talk about our feelings <laughs> yeah so, oh um I just thought they knew and they didn't know. And so I told them in over Christmas in 2011, I think. And so, wow. yeah. Wow. And so uh, that was, you know, it was a slow process, but now it's incredible. Now my mom will call me with ideas for like, <laughs> like my dad will call me with like, Oh my gosh, you should do this for merch. It's like, what are you, what's happening? Like, <laughs> but it's really cool because you know, I, you know, so they didn't know, I was, I was um, uh, a former National Entertainer of the Year. And so during my reign, my parents didn't know. So like, this mm. was like 2008, and I didn't tell them until 2011. And that was a really big part of my life. Like being able to go to a national pageant, win a national pageant, tour the country, um, and meet all of these legendary entertainers, you know, right. um, that were running the scene, you know? And that's, that's still, because just because they weren't on television doesn't mean they they weren't just as good, if not better, than everybody who's ever been on television, you know? Right. And, um, you know, that's like the Nicole Love Dupree's, the Erica Andrews's, the Stasha right. Sanchez's, the, you know, these, these legends that, uh, you know, Monica Monroe's, the, you know, um, and they're the legends that, you know, when those were the stars of the community. Those are the people that you looked up to. Those mm -hmm. are the people that, you know, were like, oh my God, did you see her? her package for US of A or Continental or, you know, so it was like this. So there's this whole period of my life that my family never knew about and they never shared it. Wow. And so I was really thrilled that I told them. And to be, you know, I said it before, my unwillingness to share myself with my parents was, it did me a greater disservice than it ever did them. You know, it, mm. it, it, being very unfair to myself and I wasn't allowing them into my life and sharing this. And I was carrying this burden and this weight for seemingly no reason. And I, I feel so free. Now we're like, you know, eight years later, nine, almost nine years later, you know, like my parents shared in the drag race journey with me and they, you know, watched every episode and they came to my, my kickoff episode and I was back in Columbus to do a host a viewing party for my elimination episode. So they were with me, you know, and they've been with me on this journey. They've just been really supportive and very invested. And that's because I got over my own insecurity, you know, ultimately. I love that. So we, we hear, you know, these types of stories all the time, you know, from queens coming from, from drag race. Do you think that, you know, doing drag really helps like the families, like, understand and accept you know their their loved ones for being gay and or being queer you know yeah i think um i think what drag race does in a in a great wonderful way is tell uh 
queer stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there, it, Drag Race does reach, uh, I think, people in a way that many other storytellers aren't able to because Drag Race is on your television set and it's accessible and it's, yeah. and it's on streaming platforms. And so people can watch it, you know, like, and they can sneak into their room and watch it and like cuddle up and watch it on their iPhone or on their iPad, or they can watch it as a family on their, you know, on their, on VH1. Um, I, I think it has, and I know, I would like to believe this to be true. I believe mm. that it has opened the door to allow other kinds of conversations and other stories because RuPaul has kind of paved that way. I think we see like, you know, in tandem, we see a show like Glee, which begins to tell different kinds of youthful stories, which yeah. is Ryan Murphy, which that is the predecessor to a show like Pose, which tells specific um, black queer stories, black trans stories, uh, people of color who are queer, that, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the thing I want to hit on is that transgender storyline that was, I think, missing from Drag Race. And I think, um, I think it's important to note that Drag Race is one type of queer culture. It's yeah. not all queer culture. Exactly. And I, you know what I mean? And it's one type of drag or it's types of drag, mm-hmm. but it's not all, it's not all encompassing. And so exactly. I think, you know what I mean? I think it does a beautiful thing, but I don't right. think it's a picture. And <clears throat> it would be remiss of me to sit here and think, yeah, yeah. I think little Susie, little Susie in middle America, Iowa is getting <laughs> a full, con- you know what I mean? It's getting a full concept of what, of what, our beautiful community is really all about. And I don't, right. I think she's getting a lovely introduction, right. but I think she's getting a full picture. And I think that there is a responsibility on, I have, I have feel very lucky that I was chosen. That is, you know, like I, I thank my lucky stars every single day. And I know what a gift it is to be give, given that platform. And so I think, it, you know, responsibly, it's, you know, I think that's an incredible platform. I don't think it's a full picture. I love that answer. Like those three shows that you mentioned are not all encompassing either, you know, like the Correct. Like three yeah. different right. examples of well, then you know, and I think it's umbrella. really good to say that. Yeah, because yeah, pose is not about about the entirety of the black queer experience. Exactly. Glee is not the entirety of a of a kind of a diverse, youthful experience. And it's when you go back and you watch Glee, for example, it is so dated. I started watching it, you know what I mean? Like in this isolation, I started watching it again and I was like, Oh my god! I can't believe. It. Like, I mean, like it makes me kind of go. Oh, like some of the moments are cringeworthy, but at the time, it was probably very progressive. It was yeah, at the time. You know, you know what I mean? But it was it only a decade ago too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but without Glee, we wouldn't have Pose, and without Pose, we wouldn't have Hollywood. Mm, and right. Hollywood, like you know, like we wouldn't have these things that have given us different stories. Uh, you know, and but we also need to commend this, those other rebels. You know, people like Genji Cohn who put together uh, Orange is the New Black and gave a platform and an, a, a, a huge stage to somebody like Laverne Cox, who now has yes. run and produced this incredible documentary called Disclosure that's on Netflix now that people yeah. should watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, go watch it, people. Like, you know what I mean? But it's like it. It's interesting to me to see how it all kind of does work together, but then all doesn't. Right. Basically, I think what the message is, is that we've come a long way, but my God, we have so far to go. And you know what I mean? Like, and I think I I respect all of these things that have allowed me to open my eyes a little bit more to to go down a rabbit hole, to do more research, to figure out 
how, um, you know, like what, how my community is not being represented or how I can be a better ally to, uh, to a, a community that I'm not a part of, you know, like how do I negotiate all these things? And Hollywood's, I think that's the bottom line what I'm trying to say is Hollywood may not always be the answer, guys. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's great for entertainment, but like you said, I really respect you saying that. These aren't full encompassing experiences. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really great way to say it. Girl, you said it first. <laughs> 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 so, you know, speaking of, you know, a, par- a portion of the, the queer experience, um, you know, you were, you were talking a little bit in one of your first answers about like drag history. Oh, mm-hmm. This is going to be such a loaded question, but, you know, for the little queerlings <laughs> out there, <laughs> could you sum up, you know, uh, as best as you can, loaded question again, can you sum up um, drag history for all the youngins out there? Oh my gosh. Well, drag is, uh, and of course, I'm not a historian, so I could absolutely get this wrong. <laughs> but drag has been around since, uh, since humanity. That's the truth. People have been cross-dressing or, or dressing mm-hmm. as, as another gender representation since for as long as we can remember. It really took, I think, a strong foothold in popular culture during Shakespeare's time, mm-hmm. where people yep. dress as women to portray roles, um, and, uh, but we see uh, a, modern, a modern history, and I'm going to butcher this, but like, you know, we drag, drag culture has all really been, uh, I think, extensions of so many other parts of subcultural queer art forms, like ball culture, like, uh, 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 I mean, there's so many different things, um, but, you know, like drag has been around really for as long as we have, and, when you look at the history of drag and the power of drag, it's important to remember like pivotal moments like Stonewall. Right. Stonewall was um, was a riot uh, and became an uprising and became a movement <clears throat> because um, because black and brown entertainers, queens, transgender people uh, were tired of being uh, targeted by police. Right. And it's the same, it's, it's a very familiar story. It does, yep. kind of, doesn't it sound, it sounds really vaguely familiar <laughs> to what's going on in culture today where people are being targeted by police. Right. Um, you know, and so these, these queens, you know, Marsha P. Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, Sylvia Rivera, uh, among many others who were there that night, have just had, were just said enough. And so... You know, so so they threw the first brick. They said they put their hands down, and they said, "Absolutely not, we're done." And this goes to not on today. Yeah, we're not not on not on tomorrow. Today, <laughs> it should have been not on yesterday. Not, but... a, not on ten years ago. Not on two hundred years ago. But they so drag has always been um, more a really important part of our culture and our history. It has been before. Uh, I think what to equate it to. The way that I've always been kind of taught it and learned it through my own experience is that drag has been the subcultural celebrity um, of our queer, our LGBTQIA plus community. So um, we have loved to have our icons and our divas and right. we've loved our divas and our icons so much that throughout the years, you can see so many entertainers pay tribute to our idols, whether yes. it be kings dressing up as uh, their version of um, Hollywood men. And for years and years and years and years, I mean, this goes back to the 40s and 50s, 30s, you see these photographs of people emulating 
their idols to you know people looking like uh, idolizing or being inspired by Judy Garland and um, D- Diana Ross and it yes. goes on and on and on. But drag itself has been really pivotal to, I think, being the speaker box of a, you know provide you know standing on a platform and for the community, defending the community, raising funds for the community, throwing the first punch for the community, um, and you know and and tightening a blockade for the community to protect the community. I think there's um, this and it's and we really owe so much of our roots and our our foundation to uh, black and brown transgender uh, entertainers and queens and queer people who really were and are have always been at the forefront of our movement so and you heard it all from nina west (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know what that history lesson was i'm like i'm trying to think in my head with my my timeline i'm just like oh god oh god (laughs) speaking of timelines (laughs) no you, you mentioned that at the beginning you didn't take you know drag very seriously i wanted to ask yeah. you if that has that been a part of your trajectory of drag and you know what is your holistic you know trajectory of doing drag you know let's walk through you know memory lane nina west's career <laughs> yeah you know i think that i think when drag for me became uh, much more pivotal to who Andrew was, I think after I discovered that I could make people laugh and I could also enjoy doing it. When I let, ga- when I like kind of relaxed my shoulders a little bit mm-hmm. and I, and I took a breath and breathed into it and allowed it to happen, you know, like we were talking about earlier is when I kind of found myself really enjoying drag. And I was really finding a movement and emotion with Nina probably around 2003. I started in 2001, really just kind of haphazardly, like I told you. Right. 2003 is when I started to do my, like my own big shows and my own kind of solo work in Columbus. And I, 2004, I got a microphone in my hand and started hosting. And uh, I really found my own voice and I d- discovered the things that really made me me. You know, like I, I was um, a theater kid who really loved uh, Broadway and opera and, uh, and uh, just stu- like studying um, people and what made them tick and doing character work. And um, I also found out that I can make people laugh and I was funny. And I think that's where drag changed for me. When I initially started drag, I really thought drag was about looking like a woman being a, being a, some kind of a, a perfect representation of what femininity should look like. And if you've seen me in person, I am like 6'3", bordering on 6'4". I'm built like a linebacker. I have giant shoulders. I'm a big, I'm a big, big guy. And so I don't know, and I don't know where that, I mean, that was probably shoved into my face by all the presentation and representation of drag that I had seen, um, you know, locally, um, through pop culture, just kind of seeing that drag is about the feminine. It's about, and I, and that's actually, I think I found success in drag when I just was like, oh wait, actually drag is just me. And of course that's an internal battle that you deal with every single time you get into face and you put on a dress or you put on an outfit or a costume or you get into character. It's like, yeah, but what am I today and who am I representing and what kind of things do like are important to me and and how do I express that right now? And of 
that's really tough every time you get into drag. And so um, that was important for me to, once I understood that my success just relied on myself rather than what I thought it should be, I've soared, you know, and that's, that's like a really good lesson for life, you know, because it's uh, like you are hired for any kind of job because they want you for your skill set and your ability and right. what you bring to the table. Not because of what you think they, you know, like yeah. it's not because of what you think they, I mean, yes, it is what you think they want. It's just confusing because I'm trying, I'm trying to, trying to put a parallel that might not work, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, girl. I'm, with I'm, you. Like, I'm, I'm here. Like, might not work. I don't know. But the, uh, you know, like, I feel like, I wasn't able to really find Nina. Like Nina to me was this um, amorphous kind of like blob of a being because I didn't connect to her. I didn't, I didn't feel like serving my, like I wasn't, you know, like how Gia says like, ser, like uh, whatever, she's like ser, feeling her oats. Like I never felt my oats. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I never, I never like, I never felt beautiful. And I was, and I never felt um, good enough because I was this bigger kid in drag. And I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me that were fat and successful and funny. And it was like, I think when I realized, oh wait, I can carve my own path. I, I, I took it and ran with it. But it took me a lot of heartache to get to that point. And that's, I think that's a common thread that most people experience too. It's like, I don't feel like I'm heard. I don't feel like I'm seen. I don't see myself. And it's a really important lesson to learn. And I know it's really hard because it takes a lot of time. It's like you get sometimes like, I don't know how you do this. But sometimes like, I, like for me, I had to figure out my own path. And I had to stop relying on other people to tell me what was good and what was bad. Because it was, I was going to make mistakes. I was going to fail. I was going to, and I had to do it. And I had to stop trying to be perfect and stop trying to be so much the ideal and so presentable. I had to stop doing it. I love that. Nina West is doing Nina West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get in a little bit into, you know, the drag race. Oh, gosh. Portion Tell me all the tea, girl. <laughs> all the dirt. There is so much. Any given season, like it's, that's what's so cool about drag races. Like, really, I don't know what you know Trixie's season was like when she was on season seven, but I know that they had their own things, and like that's yeah. what makes it so unique and so special is like they have their own secrets. And season eleven, we have our own secrets, and season twelve has their own secrets. So many of them. Right. Have been right. Spoke. And you're gonna. <laughs> Spill all these secrets. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's you know it's been reported um, that I believe you've talked about this. You know that you've auditioned for you know Drag Race nine times. Um, why do you feel like being on Drag Race you know was so important to you? Um, it's so important to any queen. Um, and what inspired you to keep auditioning? Yeah, you know, Drag Race, um, Drag Race has been around since I was, I mean, I'm 41. And Drag Race has been around since I was 30. Mm. So it has been, for me, it was like this, it has, it's always evolved. I mean, and right. we've seen Drag Race become much more powerful. We've seen Drag Race become much more of a staple 
and putting people on a platform that really does amplify and change their lives. Right. And initially it was like, when I, I, I couldn't do season one because I was reigning as National Entertainer of the Year. And I'd heard about this project that was happening in Los Angeles and they were looking for drag queens who might be interested. Right. And I was like, well, I can't do that. I mean, it's like, I don't even know what it is. I'm already a national title holder. Is it just like a pageant that's televised? I don't understand, right. whatever. You were feeling your gig, girl. You was yeah, like, I was already in the, I was like, I don't need it. I don't need that show. <laughs> I just didn't know what it was. So I was like, I don't know about this. And then so season two audition, the call went out for auditions. I was like, well, I've got time. So I auditioned. And the show has drastically evolved from what it was. The, the legitimacy of uh, the of everything that has become, including what it does for people, has really changed and evolved. And I think I just, it became for me more so a, a goal than a dream. It was like, I'm gonna get on that show. I'm gonna prove to myself that I can do it. I'm going to grow, I'm going to challenge, I'm gonna win. You know, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna win. I'm just gonna show them. Again, it was this idea of like, I was, had grown a lot in my confidence, and I was like, you know, they need a big girl. They need somebody who's, who's big, who's going to win, who's going to show people, like, there's a different way to do drag. Right. You know, that was like, you know, and that was, I mean, that was kind of my through line, re- even to the time that I got on. I, it, be, it became, I think I became fixated on it, and it became this thing that I just had to do. Right. And, so every audition became much more arduous. It became much more demanding. It became much more involved and lengthy in process, but I still did it. And then there was one season where I didn't audition because uh, I had been given false information from producers. And so the next season I took off and then, the fu- then um, I finally got on, you know, and I attributed that to doing my most authentic audition tape you know people are like what's the secret what's the recipe there is no secret there is no recipe mm-hmm. other than being yourself and also do you fit what they're looking for and casting for at that moment it is a television show and they right. do have a casting department and so whether I like it or not I fell into a specific role of a character and whether uh you know anyone else who's ever been on the show likes it or not the show cast them as a specific kind of character as we've seen many, many times throughout the, the, the life of the show, people always surprise the audience and surprise the producers and be, show themselves for who they are or maybe are not and maybe are different from what they were cast as. And I think that's what makes the show exciting because it's a living, breathing thing that is supremely organic and, and no one knows how anyone's going to react under the circumstances right. of filming. So, you know, like I became, a good example is I became really uh, insular. You know, I'm a pretty outgoing person and I became a little bit more mm. insular, a little bit more, uh, like I'm already insecure, but I became very, very insecure on set. Like, and I just was like questioning everything. Everything I was doing, was it good enough? Would it be good enough? Um, but, you know, like at the end of that, and I came home and I was eliminated and I came home and I think an important part of my journey and my conversation is finding a therapist and I sought mental health uh, mm-hmm. professionals to kind of talk me through everything I was experiencing, you know, because you go through the experience and you sign an NDA wow. and, you know, I take everything really seriously. Like, oh, you asked me to sign a contract, I'm going to sign this contract, and I'm not going to talk about it. Well, 
I did everything. <laughs> I was like, all right, I can talk to somebody who's <laughs> legally bound by not sharing anything that I share with them. So that's what I did. And it turns out that it was the best thing I did coming off of the show was going to therapy and talking about it and talking about my experience and kind of what it meant to me. Drag race is, I think uh, it's undeniable. Drag race is the most powerful thing for an, a drag queen or an entertainer like myself right. to be part of uh, in this forum right now. And it, and it has been, and it will be for a long time. It's mm. not going anywhere. It elevates people to a specific platform. It gives you access that you otherwise do not have. Mm. Um, it legitimizes your art and your career, and, and it takes you to new heights. There's a just distinct responsibility with that. And, right. um, you know, I, I have wanted this my entire life, and I finally got it. So I am running like the wind to ensure that I can make the most of it while I have it. And, you know, it's already, we've already, season 12 is coming on. And, and it's, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Like, and it feels like, honestly, we just, I just got done. I just got done. It feels like we just got done wrapping. Mm. And so it's like, okay, so like, I just have to keep making sure, like, I am doing work that is important to me. That is, uh, that speaks to the people who follow me, who are fans of mine, who are friends of mine, who are uh, part of this journey with me and continue mm. to hopefully rise to the, uh, the occasion and the level that is, I think, drag race worthy. But, you know, hopefully looking past that as well, like stepping up to a level that requires me to be better than I was on Drag Race. And that's what Drag Race does. Mm -hmm. I think Drag Race, seriously, I think Drag Race elevates, it makes people elevate their craft. It makes people elevate their drag and be better than they were before they got on the show. And that's, I think, really the role of the show. It's not to crown one winner. hundred. I mean, that is the, that is the end game, quote yeah. unquote and one person walks away with $100,000. But, you know, 12, 13, 14 people, I forget, I think there were 15 people on my season, I don't even know. Like, oh, it was wow. like, I don't even remember, <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, but like, you know, 12, 13, however many people are on the season have the chance as well to have their drag, and in turn their lives changed by the show. That's pretty powerful. It's more powerful than American Idol, it's more powerful than um, The Voice or any of these other kind of like, um, career-based yeah. reality shows because it tells our stories and it also shows what we can do in the industry and so it, you know we become viable commodities after the show and so that's another thing that you're not you're not prepared for yeah. so it's like you know there's just a lot of, there's a lot that you're juggling with the show but that's also in my opinion very worth it love that and um, so you touched upon this, you know, quite a bit, but could you elaborate a little bit more on like um, why you think drag race is, you know, so important to, you know, a queen's career these days? Yeah, well, you know, it drag, so I have, I have been, I feel like I am one of the few mm -hmm. who have been, I've been doing drag for so long. And then I also, so the majority of my life is pre-drag race. Like the majority of my performance life is pre-drag race. And so I'm only a second year into post-drag race. Right. And so um, what I can tell you is pre-drag race, drag race and the phenomenon of drag queens and pop culture, mostly led by drag race, brought more people to the bar. So when I would be doing my local shows, quote unquote local, but mm -hmm. when I would be at home in Columbus doing my shows before Drag Race, 
we, the shows were getting busier because there was a renewed interest from uh, a, a, a cisgender heteronormative uh, audience about, oh, there's drag in our town. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, also pre-drag race, we would book drag race girls and they would come to town and would pack our bar. So it was getting into more exposure because I was working all of those shows. So it was more exposure to an audience, mm-hmm. you know, and it was inspiring new queens. So like, I mean, the ripple effect of what the show has done will never really actually ever be known because it has, it has introduced new people to the art form. Mm-hmm. It has given people um, access to uh, like the, the shows, you know, like I, it has also inspired young people to do drag and not just gay boys, but uh, straight women, uh, uh, L- like queer, queer boys and girls, men and women, uh, non, non-binary, non-gender conforming uh, people to, to the idea of what drag can be. Like it has really changed the right. definition of drag to being about one thing. So, uh, I mean, the power of drag race for a queen in her career, then once you get on, I mean, you, I've, I've also experienced that. So, you know, I've been on the receiving end of how powerful the show is, by bringing people into the bar and to, you know, and then I've been on the receiving end of how powerful the show is when you are not, when you are on the show and you get to travel and you get to meet all these people and you get to have these experiences and walk red carpets and meet celebrities and write whatever you have all those experiences. But I've also been on the receiving end of um, pre-drag race also being looked at second. I mean, this is not a poor me story, Mm -hmm. but this is how, I mean, this is like, this is how most entertainers who are not on the show and the majority of the entertainers in the world are not on the show. It's a very special, you know what I mean? It's a very small people who actually have been on the show. There are far more entertainers who are working in your, in your cities and towns who are treated secondary because they aren't seen as being good enough because they haven't been on the show or they're like, Oh, whatever you're here all the time. And they're taken for granted and they're taken advantage of and they're treated poorly and you're, you're not tipped and they're not loved and adored, but they're the people who are keeping uh, queer communities all across this country kind of going and thriving. It's yeah. the drag race girls come in and I am one of those girls come into town, do a night, have some fun. And then we leave, but there's always your show hostess or your show, your organizer or your, your, your bar owners or, 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 or the, the people who are making sure that there is a queer space to go to in the first place. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. Drag race is so powerful, right? But it also should be said that it also it must play in hand in hand. There would be no place for us to tour to if there weren't these girls holding down or these bar owners holding down these bars on a nightly basis, ensuring that there was a crowd for us to go perform for. Uh, you know, with the one time that I come right. in and on whatever rotation it is, uh, you know, if Morgan comes in or Bianca or whomever, right? Evie, it doesn't matter. Like, mm. like need those entertainers who are, who are really the lifeblood of that community to ensure that we're still able to come. I mean, like, yes. you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not, um, they're not, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, Drag Race doesn't create gay bars, yeah. you know? Or, or, <laughs> queer spaces, and it doesn't create drag. Drag Race benefits from this, the system and the structure of there being a network of bars and bar owners and mm crowds and queer people and communities all over this country and world who want to see these people right it's not they're not mutually exclusive it's a lot of things working hand in hand drag race does change a person's life if you happen to be on the show and even if you're not on the show i guess that's what i'm trying to say it's like if you're not on the show there's still a massive impact in what drag race does and there's a lot of resentment there and there's from 
you know, local entertainers. And I understand that because I've, I've been on that side of it, you know, like, and so I yeah. see this, I'm gonna, you know, I get it. And so it's like, you know, it's, we just have to try to do better. Yeah, girl, you, t- uh, you touched on my next question, you know, which I was going to ask you about, like, you know, some of the challenges that, you know, local Queens face. Yeah. Uh, but, so thank you so much for, you know, already touching upon well, that. Yeah. You know, local Queens need to be loved and regarded and held up high and higher. Yeah. Cause you were a local king's queen, so you you under you understand the importance of it, yeah. I I I, I am still a local queen. I am in my town. I'm in Columbus. I'm working in Columbus. I am you know I am my con- care and concern is in my hometown, yeah. first and foremost. And even when I'm not here, how am I still present in my community? Mm. How am I still felt in my community? So that's like, and that's my own path and my own road. But let's go ahead and look at all these entertainers who are already in your own communities who are doing the damn work. You know, yeah. like you're in New York City and you and you see someone like Keisha Carr or you see Tina Burner or you see Holly Box Springs or you see you know, whoever, whoever, girl, all, all those myriad of entertainers who are all in that city kicking their ass to, you know, make sure and pounding that pavement to make sure that they get to those shows and they do those things. You know, and that's the same with any city all over this country. You know, there are queens all over who are busting their ass to ensure that there is quality entertainment. And yes. we've seen that happen. Yo, and, yo, we've, and, or raising money for a softball team or just throwing a bingo event for a girl to get to a pageant. Or, you know, like, I mean, it's art. That's, it's like art. It all for me kind of is like a circle of life kind of thing. There's a Disney yeah. reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's all this, it is all this circular kind of thing for me, right? So. We need queer spaces so right. people can feel comfortable and safe in those spaces. And that means we need queer owned spaces by, uh, by diverse people, people mm-hmm. who are represent and provide uh, space for everybody. Um, and, and that people who like, so if you're a, a queer person of color, you feel comfortable going to those spaces. And we know there is a long history within the LGBTQIA plus community of its own racism and its own race issues. Mm-hmm. So we need to promote spaces that not only cater to LGBTQIA plus people, but we also need to create and foster and support spaces that also speak to the needs of queer uh, black and brown people, which is just not happening. Yeah. And so that so there's a full circle, right? And so when we have a bar system or bars or uh, local bars that then support the growth and the community to allow entertainers to come in and work and use their platform to speak to not only entertainment needs, but then to speak to things like um, uh, political issues uh, or uh, local candidates for city council or, or precinct count, or precinct heads or uh, what have you, right? And the, or raising funds for an organization that deals with LGBTQIA plus healthcare and how access to healthcare and equity, mm-hmm. you know? So, so, um, so Queens, local Queens provide that resource. And then it just, and then at the end of the day, just that, that bottom line, great entertainment that they provide on top of it all. Local Queens are taken so for granted and are, are holding the weight of entire communities. And, um, and they, I just think, if, you know, you can probably see it wherever you're at, if, wherever you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. But they're, you know, your local queens have probably been online entertaining on Instagram or yeah. on Facebook or on Twitch or on uh, Zoom or, you know, trying to ensure that their community still feels connected. Right. Take the right. time out to throw a couple bucks to that person. You know, throw, throw a five, a ten. Um, throw 20 bucks at them because they really are 
you know, trying to make everything move and continue to make sure there's some place to go back to when this is all said and done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I think it's a little scary too, to think that this pandemic is going to probably shut down a, a lot of LGBTQIA plus cases. And so we have to be very mindful of what this is going to look like after COVID. And, yeah. and I hope, I really hopeful that with all of this infusion and vigorous and vigor and energy from young people especially surrounding mm -hmm. this movement of black lives matter i hope that translates into an energy that helps us all refocus on rebuilding our communities because mm -hmm. we're going to see for us i liken a, a, a gay bar or a queer space to kind of like a church it's very sacred to me i was, yes. you know what I mean? I was raised in a gay bar and I it always felt safe to me. So even when I was walking on the street and someone was yelling faggot at me as I'm trying to get to the bar, I'd mm. walk in the bar and be like, I could breathe. And it was like, it was yeah. full of people like me. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And there, I just, I know that some people just think, oh, I don't need a bar. I can go online and I can see people who are just like me on Instagram. And, mm. you know, but, but social media isn't real. There's nothing that will ever exactly feeling of being around other people who are like you and so I really just hope people will take the energy because we're going to need it I, yes. I, I guarantee you we're going to need it we can see it already LGBTQIA plus spaces are being closed all over this country because yeah. of the pandemic so I just really hope people will go back at once this is all said and done and it's safe to do so go out and support a, a, a queer bar establishment and the entertainers that are keeping it alive love that nina you are amazing like you you touched upon like the inter intersections of like challenges that you know queens are facing um like i was just like you know i'm gonna ask her specifically about you know the racism <laughs> ask her specifically about you know um covid19 and you just you touched upon everything you, well, well, you, you really so the intersections of those challenges too you know like being a local queen who hasn't been on drag race yet to you know Facing, I mean, can you facing. imagine? I mean, listen, yeah. like, I am not, I am really lucky right now because yeah. I'm not, I am not, um, uh, like, my, I'm still hustling. I'm a hustler. I don't mm -hmm. know how to turn off. But can you imagine for somebody who, whose main and income and, and uh, lifeline was mm -hmm. uh, the shows they did on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and the tips that they made and the base pay that they got, and now that's all yeah. gone? And so, like, what are they doing for money? Like, what, you know, and, like, we have to, we have to try to take a moment to take a step back and remember that there are people who are very valuable to our community. Yes. Provide us energy, effort, entertainment, life um, that need, at this moment, to be cared for. And, we're, what, and, you know, I was sitting here thinking, you know, like, and I thought about, like, what are the resources with which they have? What are the things that they can do? And what, what are the things that I can do? And what are the things mm -hmm. that, you know, like, it's just an important thing to think about. I think, so, I think a lot of people are thinking about it, but I, I'm just trying to encourage people to continue to think yeah, about it. Yeah. And do something. Yeah, <laughs> which brings me to my next question. Um, yeah. From like, uh, just like to break it up into different uh, parts, like yeah, but, you know, yeah. uh, from um, the local queens who have not been on Drag Race yet, the, the challenges they face, to the challenges of you know racism and the challenges mm -hmm. of being in the pandemic, uh, what do you think are some ways, you know, we can start to rectify the challenges that drag queens are facing today? 
Well, um, I mean, that's a big question. It uh, is a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to you. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot or anything. Um, <laughs> no, I think there are a lot of things that... Here's what, here's what you know, I, I immediately start to think of, okay, so again, it's like the similarity of our our queer civil rights movement that started at Stonewall. And the similarity of that hitting what's going on right now with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, where we have uh, police uh, exerting far too much power and control uh, on uh, a specific group of people. and I mean, there's a lot to deal with and unpack here because, you know, when we talk about um, Black lives in this country and, and the systematic racism that has followed people of color uh, for lifetimes, over 350, 400 years in this country alone, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's a lot of work to do. Uh, and it's not going to happen overnight. The thing that I think for all of us, for, you know, for the work that we can do for Queens, the work that we can do for... Um, uh, people of color, the work that we can do for our own community as queer people really is going to require us to have a long, hard look at ourselves and have a conversation with ourselves on how we can not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. How are we going to be better? What am I going to do that's going to actually not only improve my life because we are so self-focused and self-centered uh, and so individualistic in this country? How can I actually step out and be part of the community that actually is going to probably save my life? How am I going to become part of this movement and not sit idly back and silent, waiting for someone to grab my hand and pull me along? We're far too, we're far too, uh, we're far, we're too far along. Yeah. To have to grab people by the hand and try to coax them with us. You're either with us or you're against us. And that is really where we're at. You know, you're, you're, you, if you either think Black Lives Matter or you don't, or you're a racist. And you, you know, you think- Period. You know, I mean, well, that's on period. What I mean, <laughs> on what is, oh, affirmation mark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, there's no, there's no, you, there's no qualifying or quantifying. You cannot qualify a statement to me you, and tell me that. But if, but what if? And I know that a lot of that was kicked in the bud and nipped in the bud at the beginning of the movement. Well, what about physical property damage? Shut up. What does that sound like to you? You sound like you sound like the property matters more than lives. Shut up. Do the work. You know, like and yes. it's. But it's true, like, there is a, we have far too long ignored the problem, and mm-hmm. we have, and, and I am guilty of it. Now, I, 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 what can I do? I can do the damn work. And if I'm not doing the work, I'm letting myself down. I am, yeah. I am, you know, and it's, and that's the thing. So what does it mean? It means I need to do the research. I need to do, I need to read the books. I need to read the articles. I need to have conversations that are, that are, that will have been and continue to be uncomfortable. We have to get uncomfortable. And that I think is what people need to come to terms with. You're, this yeah. is not going to be easy. So it's, it, it, I, uh, when I sit here and I'm like talking about it, it's like thinking about people dealing with COVID and being unwilling to wear a mask. It's as simple as putting a mask on, yeah. right? I mean, it's like, it really is. They're, they're showing, the, the, you know, the research shows that if you just put a mask on, we could save hundreds of thousands of lives yes but because people 
feel so threatened that it does it impacts their own freedom they and somehow think that it does say something about themselves should they wear a mask yeah and, and this individualism may just be the death of us and we have to figure out how to have these tough conversations with people who are <laughs> and say you gotta wear a fucking mask. Yeah, you know you got you gotta you gotta come along, and you're gonna have to understand why Black Lives Matter, why this person's life matters at its core, why Black trans lives matter. Why? Yes. Why? Yes. And what is the difficulty you're having? Get to the root of it, and it's like like it is not my job to stand there and hold somebody's hand and say, talk to me, tell me why, give me the, I want to have this session with you to figure out what at the core and the crux of this is your problem and where you, where you, where something went wrong along the way. I don't, I don't have the time to do that. You don't have the time to do that. Yes. None of us have the time to do that. The only thing we can do is continue to ask for March demand, ask people to join us. And if they can't, then unfortunately there's going to be collateral we have to we have to keep moving and that's that's a tough and again like even saying that that's a tough thing to say but we're we're at a turning point we're at a crossroads and you can go i really do believe this you can go one of two ways and when someone says and it's oh i've got so many ideas on my head <laughs> when someone likens like make america great again they're mm -hmm. saying make america great as to when you know what it was like and the 50s before before black women had the right to vote before right. you know before before you know you know and, and, and before there was civil rights before and we don't even have you know we don't even have equity in this country now you know but so when they say make america great again they're referring to a time that's much darker yes. and much more and much more uh uh controlled and scary and it benefits the white male yeah. that to me we have we have lived through that. History has proven that is not where we need to be. Right. We have seen it. We've done it. We have we have work to do, and what we have to, and to decide if we're going to shit or get off the pot. And I just think people need to come to terms with whatever is in them, with whatever they're resisting. They've got to come to terms with their own racism, you know, and learn how to practice to be an anti-racist and to be, you know, if you're white, how you can be a better ally. Yeah, you know? and uh, and that's that's like that allyship thing. I man, let me tell you, like that was like that. I like that hit me in the gut. I was like, I, you know, I I was like, I have a lot of work to do. I've mm -hmm. got to be. I've got to figure out like what. Like I've got to figure out me. I've got to figure out Andrew. What it, I've got to do this every day, mm -hmm. you know. And that's like that's the work, man. Like that is the work. And whatever people are unwilling to do, that's on them. You know, like we can only, like, you know, I can only ask, we can only ask people to come along with us. And if they just won't, then you keep moving. Yeah. It's like, bye. Yeah, you girl. See ya. See ya. See ya. See ya. Bye. Get command. Bye. No, I mean, like, you want to, like, it's, you want to be affirming to all. I want to be affirming to all. I want to make sure people feel like they belong and that they are welcome. Um, but if I, you know, like I can't, like I said, I can't make time for somebody who's absolutely unwilling mm -hmm. to see the error of their ways and be willing to correct it, to engage in a, tr a, a fully insightful uh, 
willingness to learn conversation about themselves you know like you got to get over yourself to get to get on board you know because people are dying people are people are dying and it's important for us to stand uh for what is right and to do what is right and again i and i the work is going to be hard but my god Mm. anything worth having is has never been easy yes you know like and it's time for the white people who've had it far too easy in this country to understand it's time to get uncomfortable this is time to get uncomfortable and it's time to make it a little easier on our black and brown brothers and sisters and to let them breathe let them let them take a break let we need to do the work yes yes so we're gonna switch gears just you know a little bit here well, we're gonna go back to the show <laughs> we're gonna go back to the show girl oh no 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 you said all of what needed to be said let's let me get that let me let me make that clear <laughs> well, well you know you can't just yeah it is a really t- this is a really difficult time period yeah you know, and I know everybody's experiencing it. There's nothing easy yeah. about what we're going through right now. I was like, do y'all really want to call this the Warring 20s again? <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what was your, your favorite moment from being on Drag Race? Oh, that's a great question. You know, um, it changed everything i think i don't think i'll i mean it's it's i mean my favorite moment was probably walking in the workroom i mean for the first Aww. time i will never forget it i mean it's iconic you know and you walk i will never forget said she was iconic from walking in the workroom no, I, <laughs> I love it no. No, no, no 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 but like you turn that corner and you see that room and that room is definitive right yeah. it's like i will never forget walking in that room that's what's the, mm-hmm. and being like it all changes now let's step i mean like you i was you can watch that footage of me back i'm shaking like my hand mm-hmm. is shaking like it's like i just knew i was walking into the next chapter of my life yes. and that was but not knowing right not knowing what it was going to be and there was also something to be said for like even that moment of being eliminated. Mm. You know, that was a that was a pretty great moment. And that sounds crazy to say, but like at that point I was like, everything else is gonna happen and who knows what's gonna happen and I I just gotta be I just gotta be willing to say yes. You know, it's yeah. like that uh it's that Shonda Rhimes, like the 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 yes, uh say yeah, what is it? Uh the the uh just being willing just saying yes to everything. Yeah, uh, you know, yes, to, say yes to the universe, and in that moment, I really felt like, even in my elimination, as devastated as I was, I still was like, yes, this is, this is it. Like, whatever's gonna happen, I just say yes to it. And yes. so I just have been kind of going with that, and that's been pretty say, good. Do you say yes with an E or yes with an A? Well, like ten A's. Yeah. <laughs> it really depends. It, de- it depends on my excitement. Sometimes when I'm so excited, I'm like, <laughs> right. Sometimes it's a real well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I guess. <laughs> I, I guess. 
Yeah, <laughs> this is a groan. <laughs> well, it. it's been it's been like, yeah. I mean, those were the two. It's really weird because, like, when I think back, those are the two. I mean, I remember all all of it, but those mm. were like the definitive parts. Yeah, and like, I think you you kind of touched on like you know what's been your your most inspirational moment um, from from the show or like an inspirational. Well, yeah, like, what is the most inspirational thing you've learned from being on Drag Race? Oh, um, you know, I think I learned that, uh, I mean, I learned a lot about myself. Mm -hmm. I learned that I can do it. It's a, I mean, I, that sounds so stupid and so trite, but Drag Race is hard. It is. Yeah. Hard. It's getting harder too. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's tough. It is a hard thing, and it's it's not the it's not the physical. I mean, it's not really necessarily what you see. It's what you see plus the emotional, plus the isolation. Plus, it's just all of it. It's a tough little gig, and yeah, I did it, and I learned that I could do it. So I think that that was I that was a big thing for me. Um, I don't know. I learned that. <clears throat> I don't know. I, 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 I'm very grateful to just have the lesson, you know, yeah. that, you know, and I think that's the holistic lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Like getting, getting the, getting to do it, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, I got to, I did it. And so like, yeah. there was something about that in and of itself that was like, if you can do this, like who knows what else you can do. And yeah. it's like drag race for some people is like an end. And to me, it was like, to me, I see it as the beginning. And so it was, you know, the beginning of the next chapter, the beginning of the next step, the beginning of new relationships, the beginning of treating myself better, you know, yeah. and I tried to, you know, like this, just a lot to it. There's a, there's a lot to it. It's so big. And I, it's it probably, it's hard to comprehend because even when you're in the moment of living it, you don't really necessarily take all of its, its, gigantic nature into mind because yeah. when you sit here talking to somebody and you're like oh my god this is really big <laughs> you know it's like because every moment is like a moment that happens and then it's all but it's all related to that that one big moment so it's like man i'm just i'm just pretty grateful oh i love that uh and would you ever compete again would you go on all stars yes of course i would i I think All Stars is um, a really great venue to show people how much you've grown and changed and really the person that you've solidified yourself into being after kind of being let out into the world of uh, Drag Race, right? Yeah. So there's a lot you learn while you're on Drag Race and when, like in that time after Drag Race. And if I were asked to do an All Star Seasons, I would, I would absolutely say yes. It would be a great time for me to go back, have fun, and maybe try to prove some, some things to myself that yes. I didn't get to do while I was there. Yes. You hear that, RuPaul? All-Stars <laughs> Season 5, All-Stars 5, Miss Nina West, Miss Congeniality, yes. Oh, girl. <laughs> oh, girl. So, yeah, you won uh, uh, Miss Congeniality for Season um, 11. What was that moment like for you? Uh, you know, it meant a lot to me because it came from the cast. So yeah, that, that to me was a pretty important thing. I, you know, I like to think that um, 
more so than like being liked. Oh, she's a nice person. I think yeah. I like to think that I had made some really long lasting friendships with some people yes. on my season. And I don't know, being congeniality is, I think it's just as good as the win, man. I mean, you get to like, you know, I don't know, like I get to be a representative of something again, bigger than myself. I get to represent the show and I get, and I got to go back for the finale and mm. you know, I don't know. It, it was, it was a big thing. I, and I, I think, I don't know. It's just me. It meant a lot. It meant a lot to be, yeah. uh, to have Monet handed off to me. It meant a lot to, I don't know. It, that whole moment meant a lot to have the, really the, the biggest thing was that the cast chose me. That yes. was powerful. Yes. Yes. Um, and you know, speaking of Monet, she was one of the 16 Queens featured in the tilts RuPaul's drag race ultimate queen bracket. So this is before Jada Essence Hall, uh, one season 12 of drag race and before all stars, um, uh, is it, are we on five right now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, so we're on All Stars five. So you got to be on All Stars six. <laughs> <laughs> Let me clarify that. So yeah, yeah. So like before, you know, like the current season of All Stars, like I did this particular bracket, you know, with all sixteen queens in it. In the fourth round, because there are four different rounds, um, came down to Bianca in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hashtag tw- uh, Team Queen Alaska won the final mm-hmm. round with uh, 63% of the vote. And mm-hmm. in the past, Bianca has won, and I think Alaska has also won. So there have been times where it's basically come down between these two. <laughs> 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 Out of this face-off, who would you vote for? Pick okay, like whoever you're less right. afraid of. I mean, okay, so like, um, I would vote for. I mean, I'm a Bianca girl through and through. I've known Bianca <laughs> for years. Uh, I've also known Alaska for years. Um, so it's like, who would I take to dinner versus who would I want to be on a desert island with? It's two very different things. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, um, but I like they're both. I mean, there's a reason why those. There, there is a reason why there are legitimate superstars of the franchise. Yeah. And uh, Alaska and Bianca are two of them. Alyssa Edwards is another. Monet Exchange is one. Bob the Drag Queen. I mean, like, there are legitimate. Yeah. Shangela. There are legitimate. Latrice. I can't even, like, I keep thinking. I'm like, there are legitimate <laughs> juggernauts of the show who have gone on to, to change how we see drag yeah you know like you know from uh peppermint you know right i mean it's like like there's just i so they all are delightful and delicious and so important in their own ways i (laughs) (laughs) i i think if those two i mean i'm uh i I pick bianca because she's just the shadiest clown but she's also the best she's just i mean really i mean Bianca let everyone else be a star because Bianca, Bianca was the first legit. I mean, Sharon was like the first real, real star of the show. Yeah. The the first product that came from the show that people were like, whoa, there's a breakthrough here. Like something just happened. She hit like, you know, she touched and and hit that nerve with viewers and people were like, whoa. And then Bianca took, she did the same thing and she went even further. Alaska did the same thing and she went big. You know, it's like, I, I don't know, man. That. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they just like, 
they just like set the trend. You know, I had to go ahead and start a war with your sisters after talking about all these amazing things about, you know, supporting each other. I had to go ahead, you know, and do it. Um, So I think we're pretty much almost down to our last uh, couple of questions. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to, like, say this. So, you know, like, some of those queens you mentioned won. Some of those queens didn't. And it just goes to show Mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily have to win Drag Race if you own Drag Race to become this big superstar, you know. Obviously, you're an example of that. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to like go back to something, you know, like your trajectory a little bit. Um, Describe your drag through uh, a couple of your looks you've done. It could be from the show. It doesn't even have to be from the show. It could be from like, you know. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) So a couple of my looks. Okay. So I think my, I think my drag is a great, like it's a cross section of my face, Kini, meets Mm -hmm. my meets the uh the Brynhilda uh kind of that uh the opera Viking mm. <laughs> um, the photo the photo you have here on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah 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 that, <laughs> that, uh with a cross section of like uh Ursula you know like kind of these three very very different stylized looks that are that that definitely lean into campiness that definitely mm. like celebrate theatricality um i think music and uh a stage performance right yeah. that's where it's all a little bit larger than life and so i think that's where i think the majority of my drag sits love um, that yeah love that answer um and what what do you we touched upon this a little bit but what do you love about drag the most if you could like sum it up i love that drag is an intrinsically queer art form that allows us to share our experiences and our voices and our passions and our anger and our frustration. Mm-hmm. Everything we're feeling as a community, I love that it I love that it has become this art form that does that. Drag yes. is, you know, drag is its own beautiful subcultural creation that is really specifically queer. And now the world owns it, right? You know, yeah. because, like, through pop culture, now the world owns it. And now its impact, has, as we've seen for years, is being felt in everything, right? Yeah. So black ball culture has impacted uh, drag culture, which in turn has impacted pop culture. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, we see things like, you know, like, uh, when we see the reading, reading is fundamental, which is, you know, uh, such a ball. Yeah. <laughs> as demonstrated by Paris is Burning, um, then we see like that, those, that kind of language being used in things like um, television shows, right? Yes. Like, like uh, Zoe's uh, epic playlist, or you just, you can feel, you feel the culture, you feel culture trying to catch up to, pop culture trying to catch up to essentially black ball culture. Yes. And, you know, cause it all, it really does all kind of go back. So I think, um, you know, the power that drag has really is only uh, has been given to, it's been taken from other, other powerful queer voices. And it's really important to celebrate that. I think it's uh, remarkable that drag, as being intrinsically queer, does do that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, drag is super powerful. And 
the person who's wearing the drag who gets to exhibit it and the person who's uh, watching the drag who gets to experience it. It's, it is, it, I think it's life altering. It's seismic and it's shift yeah. and it's change. And I think that's powerful. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Uh, I wanted to go back to one thing really quickly before I ask my final question. Uh, just to, you know, to provide a little bit of clarity. We talked talked a little bit about this. We touched upon this a little bit. Uh, but when do you think that drag race really shifted, like became a mainstream pop cultural phenomenon? When would you say that moment happened? Oh my gosh. Bro, I mean, you see, I, yo, wow. <laughs> <laughs> You see, I mean, you could probably really pinpoint it. I think it's when Sharon Needles walked in the door of the dressing room of the mm-hmm. on season four. Um, because it was, she was an outcast. She, yeah. was, uh, she was essentially told by everyone that she didn't belong. She was told by queens in her community that she wasn't good enough. She was, mm-hmm. looked, she was laughed at. And, she was, and that hit such a nerve and such a chord with so many people that it just... I think changed the show and its whole trajectory. I mean, the, the first three seasons, we wouldn't have, it's like everything else. We wouldn't have Sharon if we didn't have Tyra Sanchez and we didn't have Raven or Juju B or, you know, like, or, or uh, Bibi Zahara or, or anyone on Jaina. Those unique combinations in seasons one, two, and three mm-hmm. led us to season four, which got all of those viewers to watch, which got people interested in the story, yeah. got people interested in the through lines and got people interested in drag. But then, I mean, really, Sherry Needles, went, there was a shift. You could feel, I remember yeah. from the time, there was the first time that I saw being a drag queen on a local level, saw entertainers um, mimicking and uh, being inspired by paints, makeup style, yes. and by uh, look. I mean, there were so many creepy queens after Sherry Needles. Do you know what I mean? So many like yeah. goth queens. Dark Queens, Halloween Spook Queens. Spooky Queens. Yeah. Queen. yeah, I'm yeah. a spooky queen. There were so <laughs> many. There really legitimately were. There were so many. And yeah. then we see that, you know, we see that evolve. We see Trixie become another huge pop cultural moment for the show. There were so many people painting like, <laughs> like Trixie Mattel. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, so it's like, it just is, uh, remarkable to see the impact but i think i would like to think the moment is sharing needles i think sharing needles is yeah. the one who broke, who broke it through but i think nice. it's again i say you know there's so many other moments that lead to that but i think it's that sharing needles entrance yes and would you say that you know also moving to to vh did moving to vh1 like you know change the whole game yeah change the whole game going from um uh, uh, a cable platform that was not available on every like on every mm. subscription to yeah. VH1, which is available on everybody's cable platform, mm. and that, you know, I mean it's uh, changed the whole game. And then you could talk globally where they sold it to where it's viewed on Netflix in Europe. I mean it's just yes. the show is ju- it is just so big, and you see that like this you see what season ten was that the first season on VH1? And mm. uh, I don't remember. 10 or 9. It was 2017, 16? 2017. It might be season 10 then. Yeah. 3, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, it might be season 10 is the first time VH1. But you see those stories really changing in the viewership. And 
drag con becomes bigger, you know? And I mean, it's, there's so many things that just happen because of the move to the show. That's major. Yes, yes. Just looking at it. Yeah, it was season, it was, it was uh, season nine. Season nine, okay. Yeah. So Sasha and Shay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that does make sense then, because that was huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and final question. What advice would you give to the queens who are coming up today? Oh, my God. Uh, don't give up on yourself. Like, be willing to take critique if it's constructive and get you, you know, to understanding yourself further. But, but cut out all the garbage because there's going to be plenty of that. There's going to be more of that mixed in than not. So get rid of the garbage um, and learn how to differentiate between the two and hold on to you. I think the biggest thing I ever learned was that once I started to be myself in drag, I started to fly. You know, I started yeah. to find success and I started to understand myself more. And I think that's the key really to doing drag is just learning to fly by being, yes. by being yourself. What a piece of wig fly, uh, okay. flying in the, in the wind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> love that. Love that. Is there, is there anything additional you would like to add? Oh, where can people find you? You know, rather if it's in person, you know, well, it can't be in person right now. Duh, Duran. <laughs> <laughs> where can people find you online? <laughs> yeah, you can find me online at ninawest.com or you can go, all my social handles are at Nina West on every platform from Instagram to Twitter mm. to um, I think my YouTube is like real Nina West or Nina West. If, I don't know what that is. It's yeah. a little different. <laughs> <laughs> and is there anything that you have coming up that you want people to know about? Um, no, other than just make sure you're, you are keeping safe, wearing a mask and donating to organizations that uplift and amplify Black Lives Matter. That's it. Yes. Yes. Love that. Love that. Oh my gosh. I got to interview Nina West. This has been an amazing uh, experience for me. I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I love, I would love for it to happen. I've been. It happened. Yes. I've been talking to the girls about it, you know, from John to Micah to Sadu. And, you know, Micah was just like, yeah, you got to get her to come on Queer State of Mind too. I'm going to so. do it. <laughs> Awesome. Where there you all have it, Nina West, the great Nina West. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So that's all the time we have for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye.